0: Good morning. I'm going to start out with a story, too. It goes farther back for me. I was about 14 Maybe 13. I don't think I was quite 15 and during those years. We lived overseas My dad was in the Air Force um, And uh, we were living on an island called Terceira uh, It's a Portuguese word because it belongs to Portugal um, a group of islands called the Azores There's a military base actually all at that time all four branches or four of the branches of the military were out there and uh, We lived off base at first, because housing wasn't readily available. So for a few months, I can't remember if it was four, five, six months, we lived off base. And I met my best friend while I was in the Azores. He lived just around the block. We lived on like a, I think, five-story apartment building. We were like on the second story. And he was about half a block that way uh, to the right, and then another half a block down. And actually, his house was on the way to the beach. We lived probably five minutes from the beach. 10 minutes, maybe a walk um, from the beach, cobblestone roads. Um, And uh, we would go all the time, me and my brother and Doug would go down and just explore around the beach. You know, in the winter, it's just lots of things get washed up because the water's more active, so you find interesting leftovers of marine life. Anyways, um, I was always interested in that. And we were down there one day, and uh, they dredge up kind of part of the harbor. The sand keeps washing back in, and so they have dredgers that would, like, dredge it up and pile the sand up really high, kind of in big piles of sand. And uh, we would go explore around those, and sometimes what will happen is, you know, they'll have big piles, and the, the tide will move in, and it'll leave, like, a big tide pool in the middle of that. Well, that happened, and I climbed up and over a sand dune, and my brother and Doug were, like, looking at something in the and I thought it would be really funny if I threw a huge rock and splashed them. So that's what I did. Threw big rock, they splashed them. They, of course, immediately like, what's going on, ready to retaliate. And I just like take off running down the dune and across the beach, like just full-on sprint, because I know they're going to try to do something to me. Just try to get away fast enough so they don't do anything to me. Well, I kind of as I'm running, I look over my shoulder, and it feels like, I don't know, a football field behind me that they're there. I'm sure it's not quite that long, but in my memory, you know how, like, things get expand in your memory? It's, like, probably at least 100 yards. And my friend Doug, I see him wind up like this and then go like this. Like, that's all I can remember. And I just turn around, and I just keep running. And the next thing I remember is I am flat on my stomach on the beach. Just, like, boom. And I can't breathe. Because he had thrown a rock, and it had—I didn't mean— You couldn't, there's nobody I know that could do this if they try a full-on sprint and just whips a rock and he just got right in the, right between my shoulder blades, just hit me, and and you just, like, pancake, like Superman, like I got shot, is what it felt like. Hit the ground, could not breathe. And uh, shortly after that, you know, Doug and Chris are there, like, completely shocked he was not ever believing in a million years that he would ever do that to me. And I couldn't talk for two reasons, because I didn't have any air in my lungs <laughs> and because I was so angry, just instantly angry like that happened. And I, I, I didn't talk to them. I just left. I made my way back, kind of wiped my own tears. I went back to the thing. They kind of were like, you know, giving me space. And uh, I didn't talk to Doug for two or three or four or five days. I was so mad. Jonah got really angry too. And for, if that's a silly reason, if you think my reason to get mad is silly, Jonah's is sillier, as we're going to see. So here's a brief review, five-sentence review of the five parts of the series so far. Part one of Jonah was God told him to go, and Jonah said no. Part two was Jonah fled on a boat, and God said nope. Jonah thought Part three that it was the end, and then God sent a fish to swallow him. Part four was Jonah prayed, please God, please, and then the fish puked him on the beach. Part five was God gave Jonah a second chance, and Jonah told the people of Nineveh God's really mad about their evil behavior, and that judgment was going to come. So that's that's the point of the story that we are right now. So I want you to imagine now this is a This is not something I came up with. If you, some of you are on the Bible app and we had a recommended, at the beginning of the series, a recommended Bible plan you could read. It was a Jonah series, I think 10 or 11 days, really good, um, by Alistair Begg, and this is from one of those readings. Can you imagine your president making a national broadcast in which he calls for the nation to give up their violent deeds, to turn away from the evil that they have embraced, and to seek God's mercy so that God might save them from judgment. Now, can you imagine that happening? That's essentially what happened in Nineveh, is that the king of the city made a declaration just like that over his area of rule. Repentance, this is again from the reading plan, repentance begins with acknowledging that we are truly deserving of God's judgment. That's where it starts. Really, we don't have any indication of where it ended for the Ninevites, but it started in the right place. They acknowledged that they deserved God's judgment and they declared a desperate need for his mercy. That's what happened. So here's verse 10 of Jonah chapter 3. Uh, we did not, uh, I don't remember if we read this one the last time we were together. God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways, so God relented from the disaster he had threatened them with, and he did not do it. Now, if you feel a little lost, I'm not going to dig back into why God was going to judge the city. You can go back and watch our sermons or listen to them online, or you can do some of your own study on that. This would be a really good end to the book of Jonah, guys. Jonah 3.10. God relented, and he didn't do the disaster. Actually, if it were up to me, um, in the I'm going to put verse 11 up there. This is the WTV, the wishful thinking version. So would, this would be a really good ad- addition. Do you have that slide up there? Can you put that up? Um, did I put that one in or not? I didn't put it in. Okay, sorry. So here it is. So Jonah having done the will of God by preaching the message God told him, returned home, praising and glorifying God for the mercy he had received and for the mercy God showed Nineveh in response to their change of heart. That would have been a better ending to this story. Unfortunately, we have chapter 4 of Jonah. And actually, I'm going to tell you this. Jonah chapter 4, I believe, we've gone through five parts so far, Jonah chapter 4 is where the greatest lessons from this book are found and it's in Jonah's response that you can probably identify with if you're honest enough with yourself as well and in God's response in the difference here's my sermon in a sentence this morning guys I hope you can walk away with this anger reveals what we value and wants to protect and it's actually appropriate when something that you value and that you are responsible to protect is endangered, like in Seth's story, there's actually an appropriate place for anger. He's protecting his family, he's protecting his investment, things that are his are being taken or damaged in a way that's unjust. That, there's actually an appropriate level of anger that's, that's a response for that. That's actually okay. It's not wrong to be angry. But anger does reveal what we value and protect. However... That also includes unrecognized idols in our hearts, which is kind of what Seth talked about at the end of his, what that anger was actually attached to. It, 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 it reveals what we value and protect, the things that were intended by God to value and protect, and it also reveals things that are not really in our area of control to value and protect. Control is actually one that's going to come up for Jonah. So let's look at Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. Okay, what was the previous verse? Just remember. God saw the actions of the Ninevites that they had put on sackcloth and threw ashes on their head, and the whole city was showing the first signs of repentance, and they had turned from their evil ways, so God relented from disaster, and Jonah is greatly displeased and furious. Now, this is a really good verse to look up in about 15 different translations because these two words that Jonah has there, it's the English language struggles to communicate exactly what Jonah was feeling. The Hebrew that says greatly displeased is based in a very basic way. Jonah found it to be evil. What God did, he found it to be evil. It was evil in his eyes. What God did in relenting from judging the Ninevites. The second word, he was furious, is a good word in the English translation because it has, in the Hebrew, kind of the implication of hot. You know how, when you get angry, kind of get a little warm. It's a little warm in here, anybody else? That sort of thing. Because there's kind of like, in our minds, a connection between heat and anger, hot or to kindle or to be incensed or to be burning hot with anger. Think of like a volcanic explosion of anger. It's probably a good word picture for what Jonah was feeling in that moment. (laughs) Anger, first of all, here's our observations about uh, anger that we're going to learn from Jonah, four lessons. Anger is an indicator of what we value. Again, that's in my sermon in a sentence. It's an indicator of what we value, and we are highly motivated to protect what we value. That's actually not bad. That's actually good. To protect what you value is a good thing. As long as what you value lines up with what God's value is what we're going to learn. So for me, when I got hit with that rock and I got spread-eagled onto the sand... Well, initially, I was just in shock, right? You didn't expect that. So there's a little bit of anger at the pain of the situation. You know, I wasn't expecting that. I was surprised by that. Never thought in a million years he'd ever be able to pull that off. Probably he never thought in a million years he'd ever be able to pull it off. So there's a little bit of anger about my personal safety, let's just call it, right? And that would be appropriate. If somebody injures you and it's not, you know, I splashed him with water. He almost knocked me out on the sand. It feels like a little bit like... You know, the scales, who was more wrong? <clears throat> Feels like I was a little less wrong anyways. At least that's how it felt to me. But what I was really angry about was I valued my friendship and the loyalty between Doug and I over time. That's why it hurt so bad, because it felt like, and this is I didn't, This is me as a 13 or 14-year-old not really able to process things all that well as I can now as an adult. I'll come back to the story at the end. But... I couldn't believe my friend would do that to me, and I wasn't able to think that he might not have really wanted to do it, because he threw the rock, why else would you throw the rock, right? This is what I'm going through in my head. I valued our friendship. So another friend many years ago told me a story. He was at a public mall with his kids, you know, and they had lots of playlands. there was fewer and fewer of those now. Um, but he was there with some of his kids, I don't remember which of them. It was, but um, he was chatting and he saw a random boy start wailing on one of his kids just randomly, like wailing. And he was livid, jumped into action, and ripped them apart immediately. Is that an appropriate response? Angry? Yeah, it is. If one of your children is being hurt, it would be a right response to be angry and want to jump into action because what he values is his daughter. It's precious gift that he's been given to take care of. And he values probably physic- her physical safety and probably he values the freedom that she and he should have to be able to play somewhere without fear of being beat up, right? That's valid. It's all valid. What if Jonah had just paused in his, jo- Jonah chapter 4 verse 1, in the midst of his anger and just asked this question, wow. I'm feeling really angry right now. What is that about? Where is my rage coming from? What is it trying to tell me? Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. Are you angry today about anything? Have you had an experience, maybe like Seth, which I think is very common for many of us, you start following Jesus and you think that if, I, if, I, if I'm putting my life under God's uh, direction and I'm trying to live for Him and I'm doing my best, I'm not perfect, I, don't, I know I'm not going to be perfect, but I'm doing what I can to follow Him, that I should have... M- you might find yourself believing a guarantee for something like a great marriage. If I do, it, if I do life God's way, I should have a great marriage, or at least a reasonably happy one and you find that it feels a lot more like a mess than a great marriage or maybe you're a parent and you've been following Christ and raising your kids to follow Christ and you thought well at least I can expect that my kids will acknowledge faith in Christ and you have someone who's rejected faith in your family or maybe you thought I've heard Matthew 6:33 so many times I've been trying to seek the kingdom that I should have at least Some possibility of financial stability and maybe a modest retirement, but that seems really far off. Or maybe you're single and you're honoring God and you would think that following Christ would mean that you would at least find a spouse in a reasonable, come on, reasonable amount of time. Or maybe you thought, when I gave my life to Christ all those years ago, that I would be healed from the pain of my past, and I'm still dealing with it. There's lots of reasons we can get angry. Um, we can get angry at God, and I wouldn't, I'm going to contend this morning that one of the worst decisions you can make is to ignore it. Or stuff it. I also don't think it's a great decision to explode um, in your anger, but it's actually better to understand it. Here's my sermon in a sentence. I'll say it almost ever after every point this morning. Anger reveals what we value and want to protect. If you're angry in any of those scenarios, or maybe you have your own scenario, do you know right now what you value and are wanting to protect? Are you aware of it? Do you understand it? And is there a possibility That, even though part of what you're valuing and wanting to protect is good, that you have slipped over into an unrecognized idol, expectation, control, kind of like a vending machine understanding of God. If I do this, then he should do that for me. I think God would want you to pay attention to that this morning, if that's the case. Let's move on in Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. This is really funny. This is actually one of the places where I think Jonah's a good model for us, because he's praying and complaining and venting at the same time, and that's actually a a good model. I would say that's actually not a bad thing that he does. Here's what Jonah says. He prayed to the Lord, "'Please, Lord, isn't this what I thought while I was still in my own country?' So think back to the very beginning of Jonah, chapter 1, when he fled. Jonah said, go to these people, and he said, I'm, he didn't say anything, he just went in the other direction. This is revealing what Jonah's thought process was like, okay? Didn't, isn't this what I said? When I fled to Tarshish in the first place, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. I knew what you were like, God. I knew you were going to do something like this. That's why I didn't want to come here in the first place. Does that reveal an idol in Jonah's heart, maybe? Number two, second observation. Anger can reveal idols in our hearts. Jonah quotes Exodus 34. It's one of the places where God himself speaks and tells us exactly what he's like. And what Jonah's words are is exactly what God said in Exodus 34 to Moses. Gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love. What's Jonah's God like? The, the God He knows the real God, but who's the unrecognized, idol God that Jonah's really serving in his actions? It's a God who has mercy on the kind of people I think you should sow mercy on. And these people do not fit. They're too far gone. They're too evil. They've done too much wrong to my people. Because Nineveh was a part of Assyria, a city in Assyria. And Assyria was very wicked. Very harsh. They, they didn't just capture prisoners. They tortured them and did evil to them. In a lot of horrific ways. You can go look it up. I'm not going to talk about that this morning. Jonah believed, I think... That maybe he deserved mercy. We don't know that for sure, but it seems like he was okay with receiving God's mercy, but he did not think the Ninevites received God's mercy. Deserving mercy is an oxymoron. Uh, No one deserves it. That's the point of mercy. It's not getting what you deserve. That's what mercy is. Jonah intellectually knew what God was like, But his anger and his hatred really kept him from embracing the God he knew all about up here. He quoted the literal scriptures of what God is like. But it was not what he was embracing in his heart. This was the prophet of God in Israel, by the way. This isn't just a random dude. It's like, he should get it, but he doesn't. He had a deep-seated hatred for Assyria and Nineveh, I believe. That's why. you, you can actually do a lot of talking about racism out of the book of Jonah. Jonah was, for sure, in my opinion, a complete racist against the Ninevites. So I didn't want him to be saved. These people don't even deserve to be warned about God's judgment. They should burn in hell forever. That is pretty much what Jonah said. Different words, pretty much what he said. Here's what Jonah forgot. This is Pastor Larry Dorman last week. I told larry i think your message when he was telling me what he's going to talk about i said i think your message actually might connect with my message that's going to follow yours kind of does he talked about idolatry last week different areas of idolatry but he wrote he read this verse to us deuteronomy 7 6 says this for you this is god speaking to israel you are a holy people belonging to the lord your god the lord your god has chosen you to be his own special possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. God chose Israel to be his special possession. Now, I didn't know Larry was going to share that verse, and he didn't know I was going to share the next verse, Deuteronomy 7, 7, and 8. Do you know why God chose Israel? Deuteronomy 7, 7, and 8 tells us why. The Lord had set his heart on you and chose you not because you were the most numerous than all the peoples, for you were the fewest of all the peoples, But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath, he swore to your ancestors. He brought you out with a strong hand and redeemed you. What are the reasons God chose Israel? Nothing to have to do with Israel, right? He chose you because he set his heart on you, because he loved you, and because he keeps his promises. That's it. Israel didn't do anything to be chosen. God just did it. God just did it. Friends, no one deserves mercy and grace. You don't deserve mercy and grace any more than Israel did, any more than Jonah did, any more than the Ninevites did. God just gives it because he sets his heart on you, he chooses you, and he loves you, and he keeps his promises. Verse 3, Jonah Jonah chapter 4, verse 3, says this, and now, this is where it gets really bad for Jonah, God saves this whole city. By the way, his job as a prophet is to speak for God. So Jonah speaks for God. The whole point of him speaking for God is to warn these people so they might turn from their actions. That's the reason you would think that. It, and, and, and that happens, and Jonah is furious, boiling hot, volcanically angry, because he knows God's slow to, slow to anger, quick to compassion, full of grace and mercy. And so here's what he says now in verse 3. And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. A little despair there. I don't know, perhaps self-pity, I think. Here is uh, an observation I'll make here. Ignored or underexplored anger becomes bitterness. And it's expressed as heart idolatry, I think. You know what Jonah's basically saying? I know what you're like, God. You're gracious, full of faithful love, slow to anger. If that's how you're going to treat people, I don't want to live in a universe with that kind of God. Just take my life. That's what he's saying. That reveals that the God that Jonah is serving is not the God he knows about up here, he has a different idol. Inside. You have not, I can say this for sure, you have not been worshiping the God of the Bible if you are in bitterness and in, in unforgiveness in your heart. You haven't been. You've been lying to yourself in some way, not always. Jonah knew who God was like. He wasn't like completely forgotten, completely godless, for sure not. But in your heart, there's a part of you that has not been worshiping, in the most important part, the true God of the Bible. Bitterness is when you hold on to angry feelings, <clears throat> you're easily offended, you're ready to rage. Usually you become fairly negative or very negative, cynical, full of resentment, harsh cold, and generally those kind of people are unpleasant to be around. Maybe you've been one. I have. Maybe you know some. They're also, bitter people are also prone to self-pity and despair over time. Because what they want to control, they can't. They can't. Self pity doesn't start off bad, by the way. It usually starts off with, I feel mad about something. Again, which I said, anger is not bad. Or maybe I feel sad about something. But it can get twisted over time. It starts with that. And instead of being honest with God and asking God for help to understand what you're feeling and allow him to line up your life and your mind and your heart with his truth it goes towards attempts to control so self pity will say I deserve better I don't deserve the suffering that I'm going through God owes me something more than I have right now he doesn't love me as much as I think he should or maybe as much as I love myself I need to blame someone God or someone else for my circumstances I will try to relieve my pain and here's what Jonah was doing I will try to relieve my pain by getting others to feel sorry for me rather than going to God for my comfort. I will try to escape from my pain somehow. And what's Jonah's escape? Just kill me! Of course, he doesn't have the guts to do that himself. He wouldn't even throw himself off the boat, if you remember. He would wait for the sailors to do it. Self-pity isn't usually too courageous either. <clears throat> if God's not going to do what I think is right or best... What's the point? That can be the end of self-pity. That's pretty much where Jonah was. What's the point of living? What's the point of trying? What's the point of following Jesus? The author of that Bible reading plan we suggested, Alistair Begg, here's his quote on Jonah because he's done some speaking and writing on Jonah. Jonah was angry at God for acting in a way that he did not understand or approve. That's why he was angry. He didn't understand it, And he did not, definitely not, approve. Friends, if we ignore or do not explore thoroughly our anger, our reasons for anger, and our disappointments, and in our hurts, we're likely, very likely to embrace bitterness or self-pity. Now, those bitterness and self-pity, I can't dive too much more into. It's probably worth exploring in another sermon some other time. But I will say this about bitterness. In the end, one of the stances that you're taking you're taking to say, I'm angry and I'm going to hold on to that anger and I'm not going to release that anger and I'm not going to forgive whoever or whatever the circumstance caused the hurt to what I value and protect. In a sense, what you're doing is you're standing in judgment over God and what He chooses to allow or do in your life. And that's what Jonah's doing, isn't he? He's completely standing in judgment over what God chose to do. I do not agree with what you did. I'm Boiling with anger. He did not understand or approve what God was up to. Okay. Sermon in a sentence. Please walk away with this. Anger reveals what we value and want to protect, including unrecognized idols in our hearts. And as Larry shared with us last week, an idol is anything we want or love or need more than God. Anything we want or love or need more than God. Now that can be Like in Jonah's case, it was, I need God to make sure certain circumstances work out the way that I think they should, which is Nineveh gets judged for all the evil that they've done, and I get to watch them burn, which next week you're going to see that Jonah keeps trying. He's kind of hoping that God will maybe not be like what he's really like, and so he sets up a little camp to say, hey, let's just watch. Maybe God is going to throw down brimstone anyways. That'd be awesome. Maybe I'll be wrong. You're going to find out another idol in his heart next week is comfort, but I won't talk about that. So what did Jonah do right? Remember, what he did right is he expressed his anger out loud to God. He processed it with God, or he began to. That was a good thing. You and I can learn from that. That's actually a good thing to do if you feel angry, is to go to God and, and express it fully to him. Because honestly, sometimes other people are not, good con, are not good receivers of our anger and our rage. It can be ugly, right? What Jonah's saying right now is pretty ugly. God is able to handle that god is able to handle jonah he can handle your anger as well that's a good that's a good decision to make but don't just do that look for meaning emotions mean something they point to something anger points to something go to god with that and wait with god with that until you can identify what it's pointing to or what it means what are you valuing what are you wanting to protect okay verse 4, God gives us this great example of how we can understand our anger. He asked Jonah this question. The Lord asked, is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry, Jonah? And uh, he is, God is a genius. He is doing something that we can apply to ourselves, or maybe you can apply to someone else. And this is what Actually, be careful if they're angry. You, it doesn't have to be in anger, but you can graciously ask a question that can maybe help. What, what is Jonah doing? He's spinning, right? He's in anger and he can't stop. It's just getting worse and worse. God tries to stop him with the question. Here's the fourth observation. Thought stopping can help us to evaluate our anger. Just, okay, I'm really angry. Just stop that and try to ask something different. Why am I angry? That can stop it. What am I trying to protect? What is so valuable to me? Do I know what it is? God's trying to do that with Jonah. He asks him a question. Is it right? Is everything about your anger right? Some of it is, right? Some of it is right. Assyria has been so wrong to his people. It's okay to be angry. If you've had relatives that are captured in war or tortured to death, that's an appropriate response to anger. But Jonah's not just angry about that, and so God's trying to stop his thoughts for a minute. If I'd been able to stop my thoughts when I was, or shortly after I was spread-eagled on the sand, I, I eventually, three or four days later, I realized, hold on, Doug is my friend. I have all these months of, like, enjoying his friendship. I really don't think he was trying to wound me and is able to go back to that friendship, and we could, you know, be together again. i that the silent treatment ended. What if Jonah had paused a little earlier and asked that, wow, I feel really angry, where is that coming from? That would have maybe ended a different response if he could have actually heard what the right answer is. James one twenty says this. This is true, I think, oftentimes of our anger, guys. James one twenty says, human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. It's usually true. Usually, our anger is not like God's anger. Like, God's anger is purely focused on the things that are supposed to be valued and protected all the time with no little control or expectation or idolatry issues. God doesn't have those issues. Sometimes we get a little bit of that right kind of like God-like anger that's focused on the things that are really valuable, but usually it's not. And that's why James, who was Jesus' earthly brother said to us that human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. God's trying to stop his thoughts. He says, Jonah, this basically, y- you know it's, it's, a, it's a loaded question, right? Jonah, come on, it's God speaking. It's not right. Not everything in your anger is right. Get, get a clue, right? You and I know that he should get a clue. Unfortunately, Jonah doesn't get a clue. Sometimes we don't get a clue. Here's James 1.20, the next verse. Um, the previous verse, actually. I'm sorry, next verse, 21. Yeah, the next one, it says, therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. I would say the model in James in the New Testament, and really what God's trying to model for Jonah, is that there is evil bound up in much, much of our anger, and figuring out how to Identify that is essential for us not to go into bitterness or self pity. We'll end up there if we don't do that. And that's why stuffing anger or ignoring or not exploring or understanding our anger is so dangerous. Because bitterness will destroy you, self pity will destroy you. You'll be stuck there and you'll never get out. Unless. You choose to understand it. So let's look at that verse. Put that one up one more time if you would, uh, Angie. This is uh, being honest with your anger will help you to see what's morally filthy like that verse says, what's evil like that verse says, and it will, if if you're able to do this before God, you are able to humbly receive what is true. That's the implanted word. That's God's word that is true. That's him helping you see actually you're angry about that situation but really you also have a control thing going on in your heart where you want me to do something that only you want but you're not not okay with me being God. You want to be God in that situation. God wants us to rid us of that because he knows it's to destroy us. Idolatry always leads to destruction in our lives. Here's a sermon in a sentence again and we'll close with a song. Anger reveals... What we value and want to protect, including unrecognized idols in our hearts. And, and oftentimes, by the way, don't feel bad if you don't recognize them. That's just normally how they sneak in there. It's, you don't see it right away. That's why we don't resonate with, like, bowing down to statues and stuff because that would be easy, and, and Satan's like, oh, that's, you guys are a little too smart for that, so let's just move those idols into your heart. And I'll try to tempt you to worship there instead. Uh, Band, why don't you come up and get set up? I'm going to ask a few questions as you stand up Go ahead and stand. We'll be ready for this song Ask this of yourself. Am I angry about anything? Am I bitter about anything? Have I expressed my anger before God? And then I'm going to ask you have you asked some of those hard questions that help you understand what you're angry about? What am I trying to protect? What am I valuing right now? And as you ask those questions, is God revealing anything to you about something that you might have to turn away from? That's what repent means. It just means to turn away. I'm not going to live or do or think that anymore. I'm going to turn in a different direction. So I'm going to ask you to do something as we close this song. It's called Come to the Altar. That's where we receive God's mercy. That's where we receive God's forgiveness. That's where we receive God's grace. I want you to close your eyes right now. And I want you to imagine the person you are angry with if you have someone. Just imagine them right now. Okay? So now you have a picture of them. And I want you to open your eyes. I want you to look at the person next to you and say, I am a sinner. Go ahead. I need God's mercy and rescue. And that's the same for the person you're angry at. They need God's mercy and rescue too. Let's pray and then we'll sing this song. Lord Jesus, thank you for your truth. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that the God you revealed in Exodus 34, the God who's full of compassion, who's slow to anger, who's abounding in faithful love, is the God who you revealed in the flesh when you walked on the planet. Thanks that you're full of grace, you're full of mercy toward us. Lord, help us, Lord. It is hard to see hidden things in our hearts. Give us mercy and grace to be able to identify those, to bring them to you, that you might lead us into your truth and freedom, so that we might be able to be angry in ways only that reflect your heart and that we can recognize where we have strayed over into an area of idolatry or control that you want to save us from. Lord, save us from that today. In your name we pray, amen.